Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm uh, uh, very good. Uh, and in part, uh, I'm excited once again, uh, because today's podcast episode um, is about um, uh, a source material that I have been studying and using um, in my various courses uh, for probably most of my higher education, if you will, career, life, etc. For thousands of years since dinosaurs roamed the earth, the earth rocks yes. were a feasibility study. Yes. Um, I Because I am that old. <laughs> uh, so listeners, we're introducing um, sort of a little series within a series within our podcast, like you just roll with it. We don't have any. It's <laughs> yeah. like we have a plan, but we don't sort of. We have a semi plan. And one of our plans here is to talk about some of the Federalist Papers. Yes. But the first um, question we have to ask is who the heck are the Federalists and who are the anti Federalists and why were they fussing around and writing papers? And part of this is the fact that we're also going to be. Uh, looking at some of the early documents of the, of the beginning of the country and how we developed the governmental system. Everybody likes to say, the founders thought, hama, 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 and then they proceed to tell you what they think the founders thought. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so we're trying to dig in on that a little bit and see, but what did the founders write? What did they put to paper? Yes. Or some other medium that... Yes that would let us know what they were trying to get at? In listeners, in part, uh, this series of episodes um, kind of sort of take us back to uh, why me and I wanted to do uh, this podcast, right? which is to look at uh, uh, government or and or governing documents. Um, and the Federalist Papers, um, uh, in part, help explain what were some of the thoughts uh, of the founders. But Nia's question um, is a good one because the Federalist Papers were. <laughs> why should we care what these people wrote? Yeah, why? You know, why should who we? Who are care? these people? You right. know, who are these people? Right. So the Federalist Papers, in short, were a collection of essays. Um, 85 of them that were written to defend the then proposed U.S. Constitution. And they were, the idea behind them was to respond to specific criticisms offered by a group that Nia mentioned just a few moments ago, uh, the Anti-Federalists. And this is prior to the Constitution being ratified. ratified. That's right. So this is the discussion that they're having. Yes, because. To try to convince. Yes. because Either side is trying to convince the other. Yeah, because you had the delegates at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia the summer of 1787. They They produced a proposed Constitution. And almost immediately, there were critics 
in all 13 colonies. Ah, no, say it isn't so. There were political critics. Yes, right. <laughs> Again, <laughs> there were I, people I, complaining and whining about politics. I think not. Augie. Again, You're making that up. Again, I remind my students, you know, if you think we live in a critical time, this isn't, you know, 2023 is not brand new guys in regards right. to. Um, um, the only thing that's new about now is the speed of the of the transmission of the ideas. Yeah, that's right. Okay. It's not, there's not, the actual grumpiness about government goes back to the Romans. So. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, and it's hardwired into American political culture. Right? <laughs> and it's a good thing. I mean, yeah. having these discussions is a good thing. That's yes. part of why these papers have survived. Yeah. And the is anti- that they're useful to this yeah. discussion. And the anti-Federalists uh, uh, produced critiques in essays in newspapers. And by the way, okay. again, if you think media outlets today... <laughs> Okay, are biased on one side of the ideological <laughs> spectrum or the other. Newspapers in late, okay, 18th century America, okay, were quite clearly biased because certain newspapers, okay, were anti-federalist, certain newspapers were federalist. Heck, some of the founding fathers actually published their own newspapers. See Benjamin Franklin, right? right? So, and we're going to get to yes, we'll get to some of those examples and have them up for you on the on the guide. This, by the way, this series will not be um, run back to back to back to back episodes. They're going to be sort of sprinkled in, yes, yeah, um, with other things that we're going to be talking about. And of course, our in the news will will still feature yeah uh, things that are happening right now. So the Um, anti-federalists wrote under two pseudonyms. Brutus or Cato. Okay. Et tu Brute. Yes, right? <laughs> okay. So in response. Okay. Oh, Cato, hence the Cato Center. Uh, yes, the Cato ah. Institute. Yes. Okay. okay. In, I did not know that's where that came from. In response, the Federalists published under a pseudonym. Theirs was Publius who was named after the um, uh, Romans uh, uh, senator, Publius Valorius Publicola, okay? And where Um, you get the idea of public. That's right, okay? Right. Uh, uh, Very instrumental. the people. The people, the founding of the Roman Republic, right? Now, who- So at the time, they weren't called the Federalist Papers. No. They were called the Publius Papers. Okay. They were, you know, and it was funny because there wasn't necessarily a concerted effort, okay? I mean, it wasn't really well organized, right? (laughs) The Federalist Papers basically responded to specific critiques provided by Brutus and Orcato, right? And we now know okay that's kind of how editorial pages work now yeah somebody will publish an editorial and then somebody else will say oh no 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 no, here's what's wrong with your argument yeah right in a polite way yes right you're not trying to be personal you wrote that argument because you're ugly and stupid (laughs) right 
<laughs> which is not what you say. What you say is you wrote that argument and here's what you missed. Yeah, here's what you missed. You missed these factors or you missed this piece of information or whatever. You have not addressed this thing because yeah. that makes a better argument. We, we strive here to suggest to people that a better argument is made on the facts. Yes. Right? You can't I mean, pull into people's personalities. We, we, that's not how this should work. Yeah, I mean, and and you and you see this with, but they were willing to say some pretty ugly stuff about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, but what was remarkable was both the essays written by um, the anti-feralists. Okay, and I'm just going to go with Brutus, or those written by Publius. Okay, um, where you know this is high order argumentation, right? Right. Okay, because the, the fundamental the fundamental argument made by the anti-feralists was that the proposed constitution would vest extensive power in the national government. Okay. And, and that one of the reasons why the colonists fought the Revolutionary War was to avoid living under such a strong central government. Right, no more kings. Okay. But can I just point out, these are happening in, this. these arguments are happening in public for a reason. They want to convince regular citizens yes. of the veracity of their argument. Yeah, the right? they're yeah, not. Yeah, they're not yeah. trying to convince each other because these people are dyed in the wool. They're not going... Yes. You're not going to, and we will get to the names of individuals later, but you're not going to unfederalist some people or federalist other people who are already in those camps. What you're trying to do is these convince are, voters. These essays, these essays were propaganda guys. And I right. know they were intended to, to convince voters. That's right. Because, how to think a certain way. Yeah. And, and, and I know that the word propaganda has a negative connotation in modern usage. But if you look at what propaganda meant back then was you are trying to persuade right. okay, the undecided, the voters. Or and the way the, you did that was editorial writing. That's right. Okay. Um, so the anti-feralist. And the way we do that now is television and TikTok and ads. <laughs> right? so Think of these as very long ads uh -huh. for, the, for either side. Okay. Yes. So. Who was Publius? Well, actually, Publius is comprised of three authors, okay? Um, and uh, and uh, the, the authors were Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. Uh, historians basically agree that it was Hamilton who came up with the idea for the series of essays. And the reason why was Hamilton was located in the state of New York. The anti-feralists, okay, were very active in New York, right? Very active. And they were publishing these essays, the anti-feralist essays, um, in various newspapers in New York. And Hamilton was just like, okay, we need to respond. <laughs> and he convinced uh, John Jay and James Madison to work with him. Now, there were two other uh, individuals um, uh, that were asked by Hamilton to participate 
um, in writing these Federalist responses. Uh, Governor Morris from Pennsylvania and William Dewar. Uh, Morris declined. Dewar wrote three essays and Hamilton didn't think they were of good quality, so he never published them. Wow. Standard Hamilton, right? Well, yeah, I'm the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> okay. So the, the Federalist essays uh, numbered 85, Neo. All right. Uh, most historians agree, and I say most, there is some disagreement, but most can, uh, have con uh, concluded that Hamilton wrote 51 of the 85. John Jay only wrote five because he was frequently ill at that time. And then Madison wrote 29. And you might be thinking, okay, what's the big deal about these three? Well, these were three of the most prominent founding fathers in our country's history. I mean, yeah. James, James Madison- Hamilton, Hamilton goes on to be the first treasurer of the United States. That's right. John Jay goes on to be the first chief justice of the chief US. justice of the Supreme Court, Supreme and Monroe goes on. I mean, Madison, Madison goes. Sorry, Madison goes on to be president. Yes, served in Congress, became president. Okay, these I mean, are not trifling individuals. No, <laughs> these are not Nia and Augie writing essays in the yeah, Richmond right. Times Dispatch. Right, these are seminal figures of the founding of the founding of the country. And they basically hammered out these 85 essays in less than 14 months, Nia, right? Wow. Okay. I mean, they would get tenure under those rules. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was just shocking. What That's a lot to write in a show. Well, but they probably felt a certain pressure of time, right? Yes. They needed to get this thing ratified. They need to get, you know, they needed to get moving because we got to get the country moving. So I'm sure that yeah, and they were that the compressed time had to do with that. And and again, you know, for listeners, the anti-federalist sentiment was not just in the state of New York, right? Um, you know, many historians have have again acknowledged that there was strong anti-federalist sentiment in most of the colonies. Right in most of the colonies. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I mean, they had just fought a war to get out from under all that mess, and and a lot of people died. And you know, and according to most most political scientists, it wasn't until the Federalists promised to add a Bill of Rights that many anti-Federalists begrudgingly, okay, voted to approve the new Constitution. And the author of the Bill of Rights is James, James Madison. Madison. That's right. Okay. Again, goes on to do <laughs> what what I would I would argue that the that the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, are in fact what almost every American is the only thing they can identify about the Constitution, other oh, yeah. than if they listen to this this podcast they know the commerce clause but <laughs> but like if you ask your average american what's in the constitution they are going to start with oh yeah the the, the, bill, the, bill the of amendments rights. yeah right. yeah the bill of rights yeah okay 
So it's not a it's not a uh, uh, addition in the sense of oh well we'll just throw those on there. It's like oh no those are the things that people actually think the Constitution means. Yeah, and in to me what's also fascinating about these three authors is that um, you know John Jay uh, served a brief time as uh, Chief Justice. Uh, he's also uh, the one who negotiated the Jay Treaty between the United States and Great Britain. But John Jay eventually re went back to New York to become governor. Was it go of New York? Yeah, I wanna say New York, okay? Um, but Madison and Hamilton quickly parted ways once the Constitution gets ratified and we have our first president. Hamilton goes to work in the Washington administration. Madison, okay, um, ends up uh, uh, siding more with Thomas Jefferson. And remember, you know, Thomas Jefferson did not like major segments of the U.S. Constitution. Right. He, he thought it was too federal, wasn't, yeah, wasn't yeah. he one of the anti-federalists? Yeah, he was an anti-federalist, right? So this was, in the writing of the Federalist Papers, you see a, a rare moment of Hamilton and Madison being in sync. Bipartisanship. Because, yeah, by, yeah, okay, because once the- And then it breaks down as soon as the- Yeah, yeah. Once, as soon as the need goes away, yeah, the once bi this, bipartisanship breaks down. Oh, you know, where that, have we heard that before? You know, once we start running the Constitution, okay? Oh, know, then we start fighting again. Yeah, you know, the devil is in the <laughs> details, right? Okay. You know, Woodrow Wilson, you know, infamously said, it's far easier to write a Constitution than it is to run one. Right. Um, Agreed. Uh, so uh, I'm not really surprised. Yeah. That I you mean, see that sort of breakdown. I mean, what you have is a high pressure situation where they work together. Yeah. Right. And we see that in modern Congress, a high pressure situation comes. 9-11 is yeah. a perfect example of that. You got you got complete alignment from people to get the USA Patriot. I don't know if the, I think there was one vote yeah. against wasn't there yeah. one or two votes against but like in the senate russ feingold from wisconsin i believe was the only one who voted against the u.s and i think the house there was somebody in the house but yeah, but but generally speaking right under massive pressure you get this alignment and then as soon as the pressure lets up yeah. the alignment cracks yes because they are aligned on a topic they are not aligned permanently forever on their yeah, on their goals, right? Um, and well, so you can it, even, makes sense, it makes sense because that's how politics, I suspect, works. Is that you, or you can get you say, look, we both hate this thing, so let's work on this thing together. Right? The yeah. enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yes. And so, then, and then immediately after that, you're like, yeah, I don't really like you. I'm moving on. <laughs> and if you think about it, if you put Hamilton and Madison on a scale where both of them would agree was that the Articles of Confederation, the, the government that was formed after the Revolutionary War, both would agree that it was not strong enough. Where they differed was that Hamilton actually believed 
in the necessity of a strong national government, okay, just in general. And Madison was much more of a skeptic, okay? And you're going to see this, listeners, when we delve into some of the most prominent or well-known Federalist Papers in a future podcast episode, because it's Madison who's writing about things like checks and balances, okay, right. and, and separation of powers as auxiliary checks on government. And Hamilton frequently wrote the Federalist Papers that were that talked about why you needed a strong national government or why, okay, you know, the, the judiciary, okay, we had nothing to fear from a strong judiciary, <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Hamilton, we'd like to have a discussion. Well, um, well, and that's going to be pretty funny because Nia, when we talk about those 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 specific Federalist Papers, you and I will probably conclude that some of the predictions or projections of Publius, okay, ne- did not materialize or weren't as accurate as they perhaps hoped, right? Well, and the thing is, can we just say that? You know how you can you can tell uh, Madison from Nostradamus <laughs> is Nostradamus has a lot more letters on the Scrabble board. Like <laughs> yeah. they are they are very different people. Yes. And, and he no founder none of the founders Jefferson I mean brilliant thinkers right Jefferson Hamilton Madison Franklin these guys who who were visionary weren't without fault and they also were not they they couldn't see the future they didn't have a crystal ball they had no way of knowing i personally think they had no way of knowing how big the united states was yeah yeah like just by sheer size alone think about it most of these guys had never been past kentucky and had no idea how far the west really went and to that point just that example madison thought that the sheer size of the United States would minimize how powerful the federal government would get. <laughs> Silly him. And you well, could, but that, in some ways, actually accurate. That, that is accurate. There are some but, things you can't do federally. But you can also make the plausible argument because the country got so big, okay? You some, needed a federal government. Because in, in some problems, okay, cut across states or regions right that you need you know a, a much stronger federal government right right without so a without state. a department of transportation to maintain the highways that go across the nation yeah i mean you could be driving on a really well-maintained road and then and all of a sudden yeah you could end up in yeah right in virginia you'd be like what happened i'm never i'm never delivering any goods i'm never visiting anybody in this state right right but what's fascinating about the Federalist Papers, me, and you were making this broader point, okay? In part, they give the background in the context to major provisions or sections of the U.S. Constitution. Because longtime listeners of this podcast well know, me and I forever have joked that, you know, the Constitution lacks 
something really, really important, a glossary of terms. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> okay. right. We could have used a dictionary to go along with it. What do you mean by? And to a certain extent, the reason why the Federalist Papers are still read today, heck, for that matter, they're still referenced in, you know, debates that you see on the Supreme Court. Right. Okay. I mean, the Bruin case. Is what the founders meant by. Met by. I mean, the Second Amendment. Whatever it is. Okay. Case from last year, 2022. I mean, Clarence Thomas, who wrote the majority opinion for the Supreme Court, referenced the Federalist Papers, right? Right. And this was a document that was written, okay, 230 plus years ago. The Federalist Papers were, right? Right. But but if you're trying to get the context of the Constitution, reading the Federalist Papers is is an important way to do that. And reading some of the essays they're responding to. Oh, I mean, you need both sides. You need, uh, oh, I don't know. You need civil discourse. Well, I mean, um, but you it, know, like, sorry. Every once in a while, I think drinking game. Um, but but, but you, need- you know, to your point, one of my mentors was John Rohr, and John Rohr oftentimes said, Nia, that if you really under want to understand a nation's government, you can't focus just on the winners in a policy debate or a constitutional debate, you have to read those who quote unquote lost, right? right? And one of the the most eye-opening courses, Nia, I ever took as a doctoral student was a course with Rohr where we read both the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers, right? Because the Anti-Federalists made a lot of good arguments right? They made a lot of good arguments, okay? You mean things about state sovereignty, uh, government is best that is closest to the people. I mean, we hear those arguments today. Right. Okay. And many of us believe things like that. Why don't they just get off my back and let me do what I need to do, You know. right? There's, there's a certain level of that that a lot of people, just regular folks, think, I don't know why we have to have this much intervention. Yes, but they or, perceive us as, as overreach. Yeah, or you know, you know, many of us even to this day believe that the levels of government that have the most impact on most Americans' daily lives are local and state government. That's not right. The, that's why. Federal, that's right? why Augie and I always push for you to go vote for your school board and your mayor and Very your and your council. city manager. Yes, right. right? All I mean, those people who you need. You need them to do to keep the roads smooth, to keep the schools running, to keep, you know, oversight of the local police department, you know, um, making sure the dump stays open. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, (laughs) I'm going to need you to take the garbage out of here. Right. Like that's an enormous ask the French how it goes. The sanitation workers stop picking up stuff because that's regularly who goes on strike in Paris and it paralyzes Paris in about six hours. Well, at the time, because that's a lot of garbage that's just sitting around. At the time we are recording this podcast episode, nurses in the state of New York went on strike for a day. Yeah, a little bit back. Yep. Yeah. Okay. They went on. They went on strike. Right. Okay. Um, So. It wasn't the federal government that stepped in, okay, and addressed their concerns, okay? It was 
the state and the local government. Right. Okay. And let's face it, you know, if you were getting sick in New York, you wanted those nurses to come back to work. Right. Okay? Fix it. Okay. Fix and, it. Do whatever we have to do to fix it. I mean, and it was the right. it, it was the anti-federalists that argued for our Bill of Rights. Okay. As you just pointed out, Nia, the one thing about the U.S. Constitution, <laughs> most U.S. citizens can go ahead and say, well, I have a right to do X. It's because there was opposition. Right. It was opposition to the proposed Constitution because the original. And it got and the opposition won. The opposition yes. forced that they to be put into the Constitution. So that you that do concession. have a right to free speech or you do have the right to have bare arms. <laughs> um, um, well, but, I mean, you know, you know, you know or the right to a speedy trial. Right. right. The things right. that people know that they have. You know, right to the right to be advised of your rights. Rights by an attorney, right? Okay, and we can make jokes all we want about attorneys, but if you ever get arrested by the cops, okay, and the state is saying that they're going to bring you to trial, okay, get you know, an attorney. Yeah, you know who your bestest buddy is? Your attorney, <laughs> whoever, whoever your attorney is. Right? That's right. And that's and by the way, the Constitution. Just, as a, just as a side note for our listeners, if you get arrested. Don't don't talk to the cops. Ask yeah, for a lawyer. Yeah, just shut up. It doesn't matter what you did or didn't do. Even if you didn't do it, don't try to explain. Yes, don't talk. Say, I'd like to speak to a lawyer, please, and I'm not going to answer any questions until a lawyer gets here. Okay, and we're not being anti-cop. We're we not are not. Anti- we're not. But being people make mistakes please. even when they're innocent. Yes. You, they will say, I couldn't have done that because I was on the other side of town robbing a jewelry store. And you're like, oh, <laughs> see, <laughs> really? Yeah, just... <laughs> Just be quiet. Okay? Yeah, don't say anything. Okay. <laughs> be polite. Be polite. Always be polite to the Look. police officers, but don't but don't but, say anything. But again, anyway, anyway, that's a side note for me and Augie to okay, pass yeah. on our wisdom. Okay, yes. You know, the, the, this hard is, earned, our hard earned, hard earned wisdom, yeah. <laughs> this uh, which we won't get into here, but yeah, you're right. For life expense <laughs> advice, <laughs> but but to your larger point. By paying attention to the arguments of the anti-federalists, you can understand, okay, what, you know, what were problems when the Constitution was being devised, right? Right. That's another part of what we want to explore here when we're talking about, when we pick a Federalist paper, let's say we're going to talk about number 10. We're going to tell you what the anti-federalist argument was or what they were publishing, what they were trying to get at. And then what the Federalist argument was, and and if there is background of the the state or the state of affairs of politics at that time, we will bring that into it so that you can understand it's it's a two sided or multi sided argument in some yes. cases. Yes. That and it's not as simple as uh, the Federalist won. They did win. But as Aki's saying, only sort of. Like yeah. most politics, there's never a clean win, right? You yes. always have to give up something. Yeah, you, and, have, to, you have to make a concession. Right. And it, you have to compromise. And that's what, that's the it, other thing is modern it, politics. I just need to opine for a second. Modern politics <laughs> talks about, about the founders, but they don't take away the most important lesson of the founders, which was compromise. Yeah. 
You yeah. think that Jefferson didn't think that he knew exactly what we should do and how we should run a government and get out of my way. I'm the smartest guy in the room. Of course he felt that way. And you know who else felt that way? Madison, right? <laughs> like, so some, they both had to give a little in order to get or, or what to they think, wanted. Or to think about, for instance, Jefferson railed about how strong the executive was in the proposed constitution. But then he, <laughs> can you imagine him now? <laughs> okay, but anyway, but but then remember, Nia, he then runs for the office he right. frequently railed against, becomes president, and then he negotiates the Louisiana Purchase and then turns to the Congress and says, Here's the bill, you guys pay for it, right? Right? I mean, <laughs> he flip flopped, okay? Of course, he did. Today, if a politician goes ahead and changes their mind or works with the other side, oh, you, you know, you are a blank in name only. Right. And, and, and you're, you're a traitor to the party. party and, you're and, you know, you're, you're unfaithful to our principles. And you're just like, do you guys understand that most of our founders, okay, had times to where they were, quote unquote, unfaithful to their principles? Right. I mean, James Madison wrote, went from being the staunchest defender, okay, of the U.S. Constitution to becoming member of the opposition party, the Democratic Republicans. <laughs> and writing the amendments. And writing the amendments, right? Here, let me fix some of this stuff. And, right? the, yeah, and, and that way, doesn't mean that he didn't, that doesn't mean that he didn't have integrity. That's a different, like, that's the problem that I think people now Yes. Sort of talk about in politics is a lack of integrity. It is not a lack of integrity to compromise. In fact, it is one of the highest virtues of integrity is to compromise because what you have to do in order to compromise is listen to the other person. That's right. You have to listen to what they're saying and you have to recognize they are not evil. They are not trying to destroy you or out to destroy the country or whatever. Like this idea that somehow somebody is just purely bad. Yeah, there are I mean, very, very, very few purely bad people in the world, and almost all of them are serial killers and psychopaths, right? They're not, they're not the person sitting next to you in Congress. Yeah, and, and when you compromise, you have to listen and try to figure out where there's common ground. Exactly. What can we agree on? I mean, you imagine how much integrity that imposes upon you to go ahead and say okay we don't agree on a lot but this we can let's do something about that right I and mean, i would urge our if any lawmakers are listening to this podcast i first of all i'd be amazed but also um i would urge you to consider i mean if you can't start anywhere else start with gravity you both like gravity yeah. okay well what else do we both like yeah. <laughs> right. Like maybe you have to start that simple, but I, I don't know. I refuse to believe that there is that there's somebody on in in most situations, not all situations. I don't know that I could have found common ground with Edie. I mean, but good, good example. Yeah. But yes. but I, I mean, very few people are Edie. I mean, there's a reason we know his name. Right. There's yeah, a reason that he, he stands so, out because he was so evil and so badly mistreated his people. Right. 
Okay. Right. But, but but barring somebody like that, let's just assume that the other person is not Edi Amin and roll from there, right? Let, let's assume that the other person has good intention, that they really are trying to do what they think is the right thing to do, and then and then work the problem from there. And I think that that's what these, these Federalist Papers show us. I don't think that Alexander Hamilton thought that Thomas Jefferson was the most evil creature alive. I think he thought Thomas Jefferson was wrong thinking about certain things. And that he would put up an argument to say, what about this? What about that? And if Hamilton was here today, if we did actually force him to go ahead and say, who do you think the most evil person is in American politics? He would probably would have said Aaron Burr. <laughs> who, by the way, who, by the way, was a member of his political party. Right. <laughs> and then who killed him in a duel. I mean, I mean, again, this is politics, <laughs> right? Okay. You know, the person who, you know, gives a floor speech today that basically says the bill you sponsored, okay, is complete and other trash, might be at your chamber door, your office door tomorrow saying, hey, I want to propose a bill about X. Will you you work seem with like me? a guy, right? You it, seem like you, a guy who would sign off. Yeah. Well, will you co-sponsor with me, right? Right. Okay. And if the only and if thing, you're going to hold grudges, yeah. The only thing you're going to focus on is the floor speech from the day before, where that same very same person went ahead and eviscerated you. Okay. You're not going to get anything done, right? right. You're not going to get anything passed. And the other thing about the Federalist Papers that I always enjoy is. The kind of sort of sense of awe that the people who are writing them, because they were trying to explain some really different ways of governing ourselves, right? Right. It, 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 Let it, us it, think for just a moment. This is the first democracy. Yes. Uh, in the modern, in modern what we think democracy. of as the modern world. Yeah, modern Modern democracy. relative being 1800. You know, Post-Enlightenment. Okay. Exactly. This is and, this is long after the Greeks tried this experiment. We're yes. like, hey, maybe we could try that again. Everybody else in the world was under a monarchy. Yes. And here they are trying to come up with a very different way of doing this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's it's, and again, it's pretty amazing, really, when you think about the sort of um, visionary component of that. Yeah, and, and, and the things that they assumed or the things that they hoped for, the things that they predicted, I mean, and some of it didn't materialize. Some of their assumptions were way off. Yeah, okay, but, but again, that happens. That happens. Can we recognize it? Can we go ahead and say, well, that didn't play out, and that's a chief you know, defect. How do we address this, right? Right. Okay. And again, there's no shame in saying, hey, I made a mistake, okay, but this is now a problem, right? I mean, because if you don't make mistakes, you don't learn and grow. Right. right? And I would, bet, I would be willing to bet just from roughly what I know, and I don't know nearly as much as you do, so to correct me if I'm wrong, that the Federalists assumed that the Congress would not cede power Correct. In the way that they have modernly yes. done. Yes. Right. Yes. So in their ideal vision, it's kind of like the ideal vision of communism. <laughs> the ideal vision of communism is beautiful. 
the idea that people will put in equally and take out equally, equally. and work together and and that there will be health there, and safety for all that's a wonderful ideal until it walks, yes. right it walks right up until you get to humans and then all of a sudden humans screw that up screw up that ideal by being greedy by being personal by being difficult and petty right the way humans are because you get more than one of us in a room and it's going to be like that right (laughs) so at some point there's going to be a fight so and it's it's funny you mentioned that because and we're going to discuss this listeners in a future podcast episode in federalist 51 okay which talks about uh separation of powers and checks and balances It, it was written by madison and madison goes ahead and says Based on what we've seen in the past, we know people who have positions of government authority are going to be ambitious. So they assumed members of Congress would want to push back. Right. They assumed the ambitious. Right. Yeah. So they actually assumed, if you will, a certain version of human nature that <laughs> you and I are both very comfortable with. Right. right. Okay. But what they right. didn't figure on was that in an entire institution would okay, roll over. Okay, made up of very quote unquote ambitious people would basically just go ahead and say to the pre, you know, the president, the office of president, here, here's the farm. You do whatever you want. Really? And we and we're going to talk about that more with 51, but it 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 does show this sort of idealized. I mean, they were thinking in terms of ideal government. Yes. And and what they thought how they thought an ideal government would work and sometimes they were right and sometimes they were tragically wrong but yes um but but it the republic has survived right they must have done something right yeah i mean Um, in 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 some of it was you know you know by some of it was luck okay (laughs) but you know some of it was the right group of people at the right time together like yes think about the circumstances that it would take to draw that group of people educated in that way and thinking in those terms together in order to write something like the constitution i mean i wonder now if we could do could we write the constitution now do we have the philosophical thinkers yeah or would we argue so much that we would never get yeah, I mean, anything you, written like could and I know that part of that is, OK, but if I lock you in a room in Philadelphia in the summer wearing lots of wool, <laughs> like I might be able to force the circumstances a little bit. But by the same token, you're thinking about a group of people who were cutting new cloth like this is not a thing that had been known in yeah, their and, world. And, yeah, I mean, and, 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 and they were educated in certain ways that. Um, what we see in many educational systems in the United States today, um, you know, things like, you know, philosophy and religion um, and quote unquote ethics and, and ethics, you know, those kinds of things have been replaced with an emphasis on, you know, very, you know, practical skill sets and learning for a particular um, economy or predicted economy. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't know if you would have that requisite background, right? Right. Um, right. Um, because again, this, you know, they all had exposure to not only these ideas, but of a certain lived experience, right? 
And that's the other thing. How do you translate a lived experience to where you can find common ground? Because you and I, for instance, can go through the same, you know, traumatic events, but our response, okay, might be greatly different. Right. Well, how do you find that common ground? Because in part, they were all responding to, okay, colonial rule, a revolutionary war, and then the Articles of Confederation. Did all of them fight? Uh, or have or or have participation in the uh, Revolutionary War? Weren't they did, all of of the right age to have done that? Yeah, but some of them, you know, for instance, uh, Madison was he had participated some, but he was so small. I mean, he was a, he, he was a small person. Um, um, Hamilton definitely did. Hamilton was one of Washington's most trusted aides. Um, Many of those in the Anti-Federalists um, uh, who wrote the Anti-Federalist essays uh, participated in the war. And of course, their reaction to fighting in the war was, we just fought this war so that we, don't, we would not have to live under a strong central government. Right. Again, how do you respond to the same lived experience? It might not be the same, right? right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, 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 so we're excited. We're excited about this series because we're excited to 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 drop in these episodes every so often um, about the Federalist Papers. We're excited about the Anti-Federalists and what they had to say and when they were right and when they were not right. Um, and we're going to try to be as honest, even though we sound all glowy and excited oh, yeah. about the Federalist Papers, we're also going to try to be honest about the stuff they screwed up. Um, and when and where they were wrong, because that's part of learning yeah. from history, right? The founders yeah. were not perfect in any way. Um, and so I think that what I'm excited at least about this, this series is uh, I think the Federalist Papers have taken on a mystique. Yeah. <laughs> and they are not very, uh, they are not taught practically in, in many um, uh, high school or yeah, like they mention them, but they don't teach about the practicality of it in, in many high school and college classes. Yeah. They've taken on this sort of mystical and they're not mystical. They're arguments. And you can, you can take apart an argument and say, okay, this is a good part of an argument. This is a bad part of an argument. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yep. Because I think that sometimes they've taken on this sort of, ah, right. Like, yes unassailable yeah we can't we cannot criticize them we cannot uh you know th this is a sacred text no it's right. not a sacred text okay exactly um, you know we, this were... podcast will never pull apart the sacred texts of any religions <laughs> because that's not our that's not our business nor our job yeah but we, I mean, we are more than happy to pull apart the texts of of yes. political regimes across the world if, yeah, we give, come, if we come into them yeah give me a law and i'll go ahead and point out some just you know really terrible sections like, <laughs> exactly what were they thinking right you know and and, and nia i mean you've all quite obviously demonstrated during the life of this podcast that the, there are stuff that you know uh you know that I that I teach or you know gets discussed by politicians and bureaucrats, and you're just like, well, wait a minute here. They thought what? Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, right. 
I get a little surprised sometimes. I'm like, what, what really? Um, I, I, I so I imagine there'll be some of that for me because <laughs> yeah. I have not read all of the Federalist Papers yet, although I'm committing to reading them before we discuss them. Yes. Um, and we will link to them on the research guide as we discuss them. We will link to them and we yeah. will link to whatever relevant article they're responding to so that people know what we're talking about and yeah. they can go read them for themselves. Yeah. So, so thank you, Augie. I really appreciate you um, opening this door for us because I think that it's going to be an interesting thing for people who are interested in this. And if you're not, we'll warn you ahead of time by titling it Federalist Paper so that you know you can skip that episode if you're not particularly interested in, in the Federalist Papers. Uh, we don't want to try to make you listen to something you're not interested in. But uh, <laughs> so we will put that in the in the titles of each of them so that you know, oh, that's not one I'm interested in hearing or oh, that is one I'm interested in hearing. Yeah, it, it, that aside, but also longtime uh, listeners do remember, okay, there have been other episodes that you may have like, you know, stumbled on, clicked on, and you've just been like, really, they're going to discuss, you know, waters of the United States. Zip codes. Zip codes. <laughs> and, you know, you may have, you know, been at least entertained, if not educated. So, That's true. Yes. You can stick okay. with us. We yes. would love to have you along for the ride. Yes. Anyways, so thank thanks. you, Augie. I appreciate yes. it. Thanks, Nia. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.